staffing and recruiting the real life. We're back for another episode. I am Kevin O'Brien, Equigravity. Tony Sherwood, Cyber Search. Fun. We've got, I don't know, four or five episodes out there now. Going pretty well. Getting a lot of followers. Would you say we have a volume now? Is that is that a volume? Is, is it a, We're legit. Well, I'm asking, is it like uh, you, know, you have a bunch of books, so you have a volume of books? Is this a volume of podcasts? What oh, is it? like the uh, like a herd of... Is, right. is there a name Correct. for exactly. more it's than one? More than one. I don't know that. I don't know that either. Maybe that's something we... Investigate. We can check right. the Google machine. Okay. Right? Right. The right. Google machine might have it. Yeah. We'll look it up. Okay. I'll put that on my list to do's here. Uh, so we are uh, we have a plethora of content out there right now. We're pretty excited about our last bonus episode. Uh, we've got a really good one here today, and we're going to talk a little bit about that before we jump in. Super excited. How are things because, with you? Uh, things are really good with me. I got no complaints. Uh, life is treating me pretty good. Um, so I would say mostly first world problems, so no one should complain. But yes, I, as I was saying, I am super excited about today's topic because it's something that I know very little in. And for me, this is about absorbing uh, some new information. Hopefully, other people will gain some knowledge as well and hear some stories. Yeah, let's hope so. So we are in the uh, staffing and recruiting business. And this episode is going to focus mostly on retained executive search. It's something that a lot of people know about, but maybe there's a lot of details we need to know more of. And we have a great person here today to talk about that in John Nemesheim. I want to introduce him. Uh, he is with Slate and Search. John, welcome aboard. Thank you very much. Johnny Tony, boy. Kevin, thanks for having welcome, me. Welcome, man. Thank you. <laughs> Glad so, to be here. Tell us, a, what, who are you? What, what are you all about? Uh, oh, it's a good question. Um, so who am I? So obviously, um, John Nemesheim, I am first and foremost a father of four great kids. I always uh, identify myself as a father versus what I do in my uh, career and uh, obviously very important to me. I've got a soon to be 18 year old, soon to be 16 year old, a 14 year old, well soon to be 14 year old and then a 12 year old daughter. So three boys and a girl. Um, that girl lot. is really protected. She is very protective. Um, <laughs> really protective. And, and her brothers have already started to lay out the guidelines of what the dating life is going to look like, which isn't going to happen until she is uh, out of college. So perfect. Get, I don't have to worry about things for a while. Great. That's um, awesome. I actually have, a, it's, it's funny, I have, a, I have a soon-to-be 18-year-old in November and a soon-to-be 16-year-old. So uh, I, I, I just don't have the two other kids. I have two other dogs. I have two dogs. Well, we, and we, we just got a new dog, 12-week-old oh, puppies. What, so. kind of, what kind of dog? Uh, a miniature boxer. Miniature. Oh, name? Uh, her name is Layla. Layla. Yes. I love that. Yes. Boxers are good dogs. Strong as oxes. Yes. I mean, no body fat, but great dogs. Great you with said kids. a miniature boxer. It's a miniature boxer. So yeah. what is that? She, she is half boxer, or I don't know what the percentage is, but boxer and terrier. Um, there's only two breeders in the country that we found. So my wife and I, in order to get this miniature boxer, had to fly to Denver and then on to Billings, Montana. Billings, Picked Montana. up this little uh, cutie. Uh, at the airport, and then drove 19 hours home. So we did something similar to it that. Did. We we've always had Labradors, um, and we wanted a uh, charcoal lab. Ooh. We wanted a dark gray lab, and so we told our kids that we were going to a meeting in the city. We they dropped. They went to school. We left on a 7 a.m. flight to Dallas. Went picked up the dog. Flew back from Dallas to Chicago. Was 
back home before the kids got back from school oh my with a puppy in our hand. And uh, Gracie is now uh, 18 months old, and she is a pistol of a dog, <laughs> which cute as can be. Yep. So, yeah, I know what, that, I know what that's like to, to go find the dog you want and, yep. and invest in that. My parents may thought I was crazy. They're like, what are you doing? It's a freaking dog. Like, what are you doing going halfway across the country right. for a dog? That's what I wanted to do, Mom, Dad. My choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, my kids have been asking me, asking my wife and I for I, ever since my son could talk to get a dog, and I absolutely refused. Not that I don't like dogs, I just didn't want to take care of one. And I remember when I got a dog when I was in high school, and you know, I, I told my mom, I promised her I would take care of her. I would take her out every night and every yeah, morning. For sure. That didn't happen. So I f- assumed the same thing would happen. Um, and, and so far, no, the, well, the kids are great about weeks? it. 12 weeks. Oh, this is just the beginning, though. Yeah. Right. It wait till it starts shitting bigger. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, I don't want to pick it up. Anymore. Wait till right. it's, wait till it's a, a one degree out. Right. <laughs> Windstorm. Yeah, yeah, right. The, the key to that is you let it freeze. And then you pick it up, right? right for like, sure. But Good you guys, point. you guys, knowing that you guys are much higher stature than I am, so you probably have dog cleanup services around your neighborhoods. I'm embarrassed to say this, but it's true. I, we do have a, <laughs> a, a a pooper scooper doggy dude, whatever that comes by, wow. twice a week. Um, it is the greatest uh, service that I have, uh, and when it is cold out, it yeah. is an even better service. So, yes. Well, we haven't quite reached that level yet, so maybe that's something we can strive for. But our backyard, we've got a small little patch of grass. And so it's very easy to keep up with her for now. We'll wait and see when it's freezing cold. But for right now, we're, we're all responsible. Whoever takes her out has to pick up right away. Hopefully that keeps up. You'll have to send a picture over. We'll, we'll post it. On. For sure. So what else? Tell us more. So um, from a professional perspective, I'm the managing director over at Slayton Search Partners, as you mentioned, a, a retained executive search firm. Um, within, I've been with the firm now for, tw- it'll be 21 years in January. Um, so to give you a little background, I came out of the HR world, so I was always sort of um, uh, wanting to follow in my father's footsteps, who was an HR executive his whole career. But fortunately for me, I realized early on that I didn't like HR. I liked recruiting, but I didn't like all of the other things that came along with it. So I was able to kind of figure that out early enough. And uh, fortunately, my father was very well connected in the search community. And the day that I told my dad I needed to get out of HR with the company I was with, um, our former chairman, Dick Slayton, who founded our firm, and I'll get into that, uh, he called my dad and said, hey, do you know anybody that might want to get into executive search? So lo and behold, the next day, I actually went to Dick Slayton's house, interviewed there, and then came in that week, met with his son, Rick, a couple of the other members of the the team, and I was hired later that week. So that was 21 years ago in January. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that part of the story. I like that. Yeah, for sure. So it's kept me there. I uh, focus primarily in the industrial sector. Uh, definitely my relationships take me and others as well, but that's where I spend most of my time. So when you say industrial, just give me an idea. What type of clients are in industrial? So large capital equipment manufacturers, okay. companies like JBT, uh, companies like IDEX. A lot of these companies you don't hear about because they're manufacturing a lot of the equipment that you know are running plants or that you know are building the engines inside other uh, other automobiles or uh, transportation equipment, things like that. So pretty nichey, pretty pretty. Uh, you know, it's a segment. It's a specific market, 
and you've stayed in that area. I have, yeah. And it can be very broad. Um, So there are many, many segments of industrial, but we kind of keep it very high level. We're, you know, what you would call a boutique firm, so we can't get too granular. We try not to kind of keep it very high level. And so when you talk, again, you're talking to someone now that's owned a, a... a staffing agency that's never done really executive search. We've mm-hmm. only we you know we're doing anything from a low level admin, technical admin to a, a director of a technology. That's probably mm-hmm. about as high as we we have okay. uh, gotten. Um, so you know, very transactional, really sort of quick uh, timelines. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about the process that you go through. Or what, what is retained executive well, yeah, search? Well, right? How do you define first. that? Yeah. Right. So at, keeping it at a very high level, you know, your side is more contingent. Yeah. Retained basically means that a client is going to pay us up front to do the work to find their executive. So we're paid essentially no matter what. It's not contingent upon a hire like you get paid. Um, you had mentioned kind of speed and, and it's more transactional on the contingent side. Speed is definitely important on the retained side, but there is more of a process that we follow because we know we're getting paid. So we can really focus on ensuring that we put together the process for each and every search. So when we, when we kick off a search, we do an intake call, just like you do with your clients, figure out exactly what the must-haves are, understand their business. You know, a lot of times, most of our searches are from our current clients. So we already know the client, but there's always nuances to each and every search. So we try to understand exactly what it is that they're looking for, that you know, ideal profile. And then what we do from there is we certainly d- dig into our database, but we also go out and do a lot of research. So we build a list of, let's say, 100 to 200 uh, executives that are within sort of the, um, the reach of that position that we're looking for. If we're doing a C-level or a VP level, we might be looking for directors. We might be looking for other VPs. But we're going to reach out to those 150 to 200 people rather than just trying to find a few resumes in the database, hoping that they're going to work out. And then we go through a pretty exhaustive process, reaching out to those individuals, qualifying them, phone screen, just like you do, um, interviewing those candidates, and then presenting a full slate of candidates to our clients. So they are looking, uh, our clients ensure, make sure that we present that slate of three to five, maybe six candidates, so that they they can then choose which one is the best fit for them. The difference, I think, primarily between contingent and retained is we are not trying to find a candidate that can do the job, but we're trying to find the very best candidate that can do the job at this moment in time. So that's how I would define it. I mean, and that yeah, and, I, and, I, and that resonates with me, certainly, that you want to find the best candidate at that time. Um, is the process include a lot of uh, travel? I mean, are you, cause for me personally, I don't see many of the candidates. Mm-hmm. I, it's a phone screen. It's a video chat now. Right. Um, what percentage are you actually shaking hands and kissing babies with the, with the potential uh, candidate? for this high-level role. Yeah, that's interesting because um, I was actually just talking to a colleague of mine um, who doesn't, he didn't really know what I was, what I did, um, not a work colleague, but a, more of a, a personal colleague. And he asked me how much I travel. And I said, well, I used to travel a lot more. Technology has enabled us to reduce our travel um, schedule because clients 
they're okay with us Skyping or FaceTiming or blue jeans or whatever the technology is that we're using. And actually they prefer it um, in many cases. Now, if it's a C-level search, we need to get in front of them. No question about it. But our clients recognize that they can save a significant amount of money um, by keeping us off the plane and out of a hotel room and off, you know. So they actually prefer that we do the, the Skype or video conference. And so that has reduced our travel significantly. It used to be every candidate you would have to go out and get in front of, shake hands with, which is obviously important, but because technology is such, they don't necessarily require us to do that. And then and and I think that's important for, well, at least for me to know, because I never knew that. I always assumed everybody's out there on a plane going to have breakfast with these people, going to have lunch with their families, mm-hmm. getting really to know in depth. And maybe that's, maybe you can break it down. So when you are a retained search firm and an executive search, um, you mentioned sort of C level and VP level. Like, what are the sort of the various levels that you actually are right uh, searching, searching for? Yeah. yeah. So really, the lowest level, and it really depends on organizations because sure. everybody's title might mean something different in, in each company. But it's typically director level and above. And really, what it comes down to is the compensation. We have a minimum compensation or uh, fee that we won't go below. And that just translates to a minimum compensation level. And we're paid on the base salary plus the targeted bonus. So I know in many contingent-focused firms, it's primarily just on base. Just base, exactly. Right. So we, we are base and bonus. Okay. And it's typically a third of that base and bonus. So you really are hammering down uh, what the compensation is because that directly affects what your retained search fee is. For sure. Correct. And at some point, there's a value to that number, right? Absolutely. So that's why it really is not less, – it's less about title and more about – the, the, the compensation that they're willing to pay for that individual. Right. Okay, got it. That's great. And, and, and it tends to just translate to director level and above. But, again, we're, we're going from that level all the way up to the C-suite. That's great. That, that, that's really sort of interesting to know. And have you found that your fees over time have changed? Have they been able to remain fairly constant? Have they gone up? Have they gone down? What is like competition like now in the executive search? Because in, in my side of the business, in the, in the staffing contingency world, you know, there, you could argue that there's, there's thousands of them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm just curious what the level of competition amongst executive level searches yeah there's no question it's highly competitive it's um, I would say our fees have actually gone significantly up over the last 10 years and that's tied to a couple things first of all compensation levels have gone up you know um, particularly now in this type of market the economics right now are I don't want to say out of control but they are heavily inflated because there's such a demand for good talent out there but obviously that translates to higher fees Uh, which is always great, but also as a firm, we've positioned ourselves so that we can do, um, so we we aspire to do more senior level work. Um, And we have, fortunately, over the last 10 years, we made a very deliberate effort to move upstream, if you will, work with larger, more sophisticated clients that have multiple needs and can see us um, on par with some of the other very large retained search firms out there who we consider our primary competition. The, the H&S, corn, corn, corn fairs. We don't want yep. to certainly publicize those yeah, guys, right? right? right. Like, ah. Those other ones. Those, those other, other ones. ones. The other guys. Yeah. Um, well, no, and, and that that's important to know as well. Because, I, I, you know, for someone like myself who 
you know, I, I'm looking at clients from all different sizes, mm-hmm. from enterprise level to you know, you know, one or two roles. There's there's usually less executives mm-hmm. than there are regular people. For sure. So, what is it like? Do you are you do you do new business development as well? Uh, are you is it more of a full desk sort of operation? You you go and get the client and then work on the candidate yourself, or because in our in our world. Oftentimes, there's a separation between church and state, right? right. There's a, there's the, rec- the business development guy, right. and then there's the recruiter. Yep. Same for executive search, or do you sort of – more of a full desk type of operation? So it's more of a full desk, but it's definitely different. I okay. mean, we – as a managing partner or an executive, pro, or executive vice president in our firm – you are responsible for your own book of business. You okay. have to go out and drive whatever business you bring in, unless you're collaborating with another partner, maybe co-selling on an engagement or whatnot. Um, but part of you know our fee goes into building the infrastructure that we have. So we don't own candidates per se. They're sitting in the database, um, but we have a team that you know, let's call it a project team or an engagement team. So every search is assigned, obviously, the consultant who brought in the work, but then also a principal and or an associate who does all of the or primarily most of the uh, candidate development who are they're reaching out to that list of 100 to 200 people that I mentioned before. And below that, there's a research team that is also a member that's also tied to that search who is doing a lot of the the, the book research, as we call it, they don't use books anymore, but obviously they're the ones that are finding the executives within those particular companies that we're targeting. So really the fee is tied to being able to support uh, the uh, compensation for that team that we built, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes, it makes perfect sense. And do you think that, so the, the people that are on your team, the research people, um, Again, when we hire people in our industry, we'll, we'll, we'll do a, uh, an interview, a first screen, a second screen that's more technical. We might do a technical test if there's one that's available mm-hmm. uh, in the marketplace. And then we'll get references, but we typically don't check them. We don't do the background check until they're engaged at an executive search level where, you, you know, again, high level of exposure typically. Um, I don't know if your clients are publicly traded or not. What sort mm-hmm. of research actually ahead of time do you have to do to ensure uh, what I like to call candidate authenticity? I use right. that word a lot, candidate authenticity, sort of making sure that they are not, they have a, the solid background. They work where they say they work. They have the degree from where they said they got a degree from. Right. They haven't been a criminal. They haven't, you know, filed for bankruptcy in the last, you know, if you've got a financial service client. Right. What, is that a lot of that done on the front end and already completely done before you present to your client in the executive search world? For the most part, yes. Um, we will do, obviously, Google searches and see if anything comes up. And we've certainly found many executives who have had a pass, and we have to you know, make sure that our clients are aware of that or just you know, disqualify them if, if it's bad enough. Um, and then throughout the process, obviously, we're also doing references. So we have formal references, which candidates provide, which are always great. Nobody's going to provide a, a reference. reference. Right, yeah. right. Uh, but we'll do backdoor references, obviously, because of our network, because of our history. We know a lot of executives within a lot of companies. So we can usually find, also with the help of LinkedIn sometimes, you know, who else worked with that individual. See if you can get any of the kind of the, the un... Um, 
um, the unsolicited, the unsolicited uh, uh, yeah. uh, reference. Because those them. would be obviously the the most accurate from the standpoint For of sure. they have nothing to gain or lose. They're not someone's buddy. They you know not helping somebody else. So. Right. That, and so th- those are things that you'll do ahead of time prior to right. uh, presenting to to a uh, client. Right. And then, you know, we'll do, uh, well, we won't do it, but the client will obviously do a drug screen and background check and all that. And I would imagine that these types of, um, the people of the talent that you're looking at, they sort of expect a greater detail of, of, uh, I guess the word is a deeper dive Mm -hmm. into their background, a a deeper deeper dive, a deeper assessment into their Mm -hmm. history. And they really, because again, this is. The, the exposure, right? right. You, you can't have a mishap at the executive level because it could take down the company, right? Absolutely. Um, so th- that I would imagine that's really important to your clients, making sure to ensure the safety, protection, right. security of the, of the firm. Right. Yeah, no question about it. And, and when we provide information to our client, we are providing a full written assessment of that individual, which goes into not only their career background, but also their personal background. Background. You know, we obviously have to make sure we're maintaining, you know, legality and not yeah. asking questions we can't ask anymore. But, you know, certainly trying to get as much information as possible to fully understand that individual. So that's interesting you bring up that about... a question. Well, well, I got a great question now. Yeah. Okay, this is about, you mentioned legalities. Yep. So in the state of Illinois, they literally just changed the law that you can no longer ask somebody what their salary history is. Well, you can, but you have to ask what they up expect. until tomorrow. Up until tomorrow, frankly. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Is that when it changes? Yeah. yeah. So, like, October we're first. Today we're good. Right. Tomorrow we're bad. <laughs> so, you know, this sort of, candidly speaking, pisses me off. Absolutely. Well, hold on. Does it frustrates that, the shit out of me. So, does this law apply to if you're working in Illinois, you can't ask, or how does it? You work? cannot ask a potential. It's gray. It is gray. Right. Because if your client is in Tennessee, right, and the candidate's in California. You're well, California can't ask. Can't okay. ask in oh, California. Pick, right. pick your okay state. Right. I don't know well, they're becoming less and less. Right. Okay. So, but how does that work? Can you ask? Or, so, or is it, it's my, right. you know, I'm not going to speak ahead. for you, but, but my understanding is that you can ask them what their expectation is in their mm-hmm. next job, but you cannot ask them what are you currently right. making and what are you what are you hoping to achieve in your next job? Oh, I want 20 percent increase. I always so, ask that question. Right. That that yeah. that's been the general. Right. Like, hey, I made three hundred thousand in 2016. I made three fifty and so. Forth. You can't ask that, and you can't verify it right ahead of time. You can't. You do it. You're. It's illegal. And then, and while I don't think the most of the public is educated with that, it'll only take one person to sort of bring down the house, and then they'll yeah. sue you, and you are going to be guilty, right? Right. Um, so, my understanding is that all you can ask them is, "What is your expectation of your future uh, earnings?" Right. And give the, and whatever they say, you sort of just have to take. Right. Well, I mean, in your business, well, John, I, I think. I mean, they typically have a package for that role, right? Mm-hmm. So I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, in retained, you're coming with what would be the expectation. Maybe there's some vari- variables in the comp based on bonus and things like that. Right. Whereas in contingent, there may be, at, at those levels, I don't know, is there more flexibility? I don't, like think, a- I don't think there's more flexibility. I, that's, that, that's the struggle. I think actually within, within this realm, executive search and, conti- and reti- uh, contingency are the same. Like we, from the standpoint that we cannot easily verify one's current income and what to base off their future income. You well, just right. what I'm talking about what the client's coming with. So the client may have in, in the contingency model that may be a lesser 
uh, they'll have a certain band that they right. can Here's the range right. from 50 to 80. Yeah. But in executive, there may be, I don't know. Maybe you can There's still that. bands at the executive level for sure. They're, they might be wider bands. There might be some more flexibility if you have some long-term incentive that you can tie to it. But we're still we're going to run into the same issue. And we always kind of got, we thought we could get around it because we're retained, right? right? Because, you know, this is what our clients are asking us for. And this is the information that they're demanding. Well, we can't now. Um, so we're, we're definitely in the same boat. And so we, you know, we, we actually had a conversation with this today in our, our partner meeting that we have every Monday, you know, about the legality of it. And we're waiting for kind of a script from our employment attorney about what we can and can't say. Um, but at the end of the day, we can ask what their expectations are. Um, when you extend an offer, you can ask them to verify their compensation. But by that point, you can, you know, they, they may have said, yeah, I want to make $400,000 a year. Okay, well, we'll take you for your word, but they could have only been making $200,000 a year. So it's... all of a sudden, you just hired somebody that, according to market, is well under what uh, what you were hoping for. Yeah, I, so that's, that's sort of like the, the Pandora's box. is like you get a rate, a rate card, right, a band, whatever you want to call it, from your client. They have certain expectations of what they're willing to pay. But at the end of the day, we're trying to bring value also to the client. We're not looking to give somebody a 40% raise just because they can get it, just because they, the range is to, you have to say it's $100 Well, the hour. argument there is that that's the worth of the per person, right? So we're, we're trying to... That's the worth of the role. The role. The role. Not necessarily the person right. that okay. you're recruiting. Right. You know, right. And, and by the way, you know why, if you can get a talented individual for less but within the band and it's an increase to them then everyone's happy but they if because the first question every candidate asks is well what does it pay right, right. Um, or what's the range and if you tell them 500,000 to 550 most of them are gonna say yeah I'm looking for 550 right right and you they might be making 400,000 so now you're giving me a hundred fifty thousand dollar raise that's probably well beyond what the, the client right. was expecting in terms of an increase but if the client believes that the, the position pays that and the person fits it and they're worth that than the argument. Right. I'm, I'm posing the other side of the argument. Yeah. And I, I would say that um, a good recruiter, regardless if you're in contingent or retained, is getting um, great value for the client and also getting the individual um, an increase in compensation at a fair and reasonable level. Um, that I feel like there's sort of yeah. an obligation to both. Right. Uh, I don't think the obligation is is, is if uh, the candidate want, is making uh, you know five hundred thousand dollars or four hundred thousand dollars, and you tell them the rate. If you a normal person would expect maybe a twenty percent increase to leave, maybe thirty percent, maybe to, you know four hundred fifty thousand, four forty, and if you got and they would be tickled pink because that'd be a big jump. Mm -hmm. I think if you brought them to a prospective client at five fifty. You're not doing your job as a recruiter, bringing value um, to. No, it makes no difference because you can't ask them anyway. Right? Right. So if you're bringing right. the right candidate, regardless of what their comp is, as long as they're fitting into this band. Yeah, but there there is the perception out there that if if you're hiring for someone for a four hundred thousand dollar job, but in actuality they're making one hundred seventy five they're not at the right level for what you need in that role. That's just the way the market is. I mean, the market prices people appropriately. So if, if you're making 250, um, your next step is a $300,000. You know, I'm just throwing a number right. out there. But to go from 250 up to 500, 
that's probably not a, a realistic jump. Right. But, but you wouldn't, according to what you're saying, you wouldn't know that until. We won't know that. But we won't. so is that part of the process then on the, on the retained side is what you guys would go through is a, a, upon offer, then they have to reveal their salary history or well, you, you we're, do they have the right to renegotiate? Yeah, well, that's the thing that, that I'm worried about. That's right. that, that as, as from your perspective or really mine, I, I think that the argument would be made is that the client would have the make an offer contingent on proof of that might be where we and need to go. We could potentially see, uh, so listen, but, have, but showing pr that's, that's the that, wouldn't that be considered illegal still because you're asking them not for if you from what I understand if you extend the offer then you can you can verify their compensation so then you'll okay. obviously know what they're earning the biggest thing for us that we see as a major problem um, is a lot of these executives are sitting on really hefty long-term incentive packages so we can't even ask them what they're walking away from you know if i'm recruiting an executive and he's got a million he or she has a million dollars of long-term equity tied up in in company stock through their program technically i can't ask for the value of that and then all of a sudden the cost you know when when we get ready to an, extend an offer and our clients so excited but they had no idea they have to pay an extra million dollars or whatever the buyout is they're going to be pretty upset with us well, and that you, falls on us but we can't ask they can you offer can ask the question is are there any other considerations that you have you in can but they don't have to tell you okay. correct they, well, it, it would be in their best i, I would think at, at that level absolutely right. we, you're, you're going to have candidates that are saying listen here's where i'm at here's right. what, what i need and for the most part in those states right they do volunteer they you know when you think about you know pay equity and, and why this law is coming into effect in so many states they didn't take into consideration the search firms out there or the staffing firms they were thinking more company so they weren't thinking about the third parties that are out there kind of helping facilitate a lot of these, you know, transactions, if you will, and, and broker uh, relationships. So they're going to have to figure that out. Again, I do think, listen, I, I am a, a glass half full person. I am a person that believes in people and their genuineness. Um, I believe they will offer up their the truth. I don't think the majority of people out there are looking to you know get away with something at right. that at any level but there's always the reason they have these laws or they're they're instituting the, these regulations is because there are people there will be people that take advantage of this opportunity right. there's no doubt about it i do think it's far and few between but i do think that they will be and i i, I would hope that most people again you can't ask them but they can certainly volunteer any information right right and that's what right. you hope if you i think what the the i think maybe you correct me if i'm wrong it puts a stronger onus on the recruiter to have a stronger relationship with the candidate for sure about just being honest about where they're at their you know what's going on in their lives the integrity and building a trust factor that they volunteer this information and again not make it so transactional right uh, really uh, buy into who they are and your willingness and wanting to sort of put them in a better opportunity so the more information you get um, up front, the better uh, relationship you develop with them, I think the better likelihood that you'll get the answer you're looking for right. and, and there will be no surprises. Right. And, you know, and, you know. and for the most part, we, as we were talking about it earlier this morning, 
I think everybody sort of said, yeah, it's only happened once where somebody wouldn't volunteer their compensation or w weren't upfront. You know, even when we said, what are your expectations? They would just come out and say, hey, this is where I'm at today. You know, I'd expect to take a normal, you know, 15, 20 percent bump. That would be great if they even, you know, uh, outline that. But for the most part, we're not running into huge barriers, but we can see, especially now in Illinois, because we're based here, that we can't even ask the question, you know, it. So it just makes it a little more difficult to navigate. Yeah. Well, that was an interesting twist. I don't think we uh, came in thinking about Well, it's relatively new. That, it's brand yeah. new. Literally tomorrow, yeah. tomorrow's the day, uh, October 1st, uh, 2019. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, I, think, I do think the majority of people, though, uh, probably don't know about the law. Right. And will continue to volunteer uh, their, their uh, compensation. For well, sure. if they listen to this podcast, and they're sure. Yeah, well, that's a yeah. good point. Right. That's a good point. Well we, we are publishing this like a couple weeks out. So there, it's going to be a... A little delayed reaction. But, a little delayed. Yeah. Anyway. So, uh, how, uh, you know, you got into this business. I mean, while I fell into my business, who knows, right? Well, you were kind of in a family thing. Family business, yeah. Which, right? So, uh, how does someone get into this business? Like, you've got some new people coming in. I know I've talked to right. people a lot. And you've yeah. got people that kind of work their way in. For someone who, like, when I was in school, I did say, I want to I I be an executive recruiter. I don't know why. I took all the HR classes. I never never got into it. But how does someone get into this business? What, what's the background of their schooling? Is it, uh, you know, because I know you've got some up-and-comers. Right. You know, how does that work? There, there are so many different paths to get into executive search. People don't go to college and, and think, hey, I want to get into executive search, so what's my study going to be? Um, you know, I wanted to get in, into HR, uh, so I focused on industrial organizational psychology at, at Miami. And got into search through HR. So sometimes that can be a common theme. People go into HR or go into talent acquisition internally within organizations because that's usually a good starting point for a lot of, a lot of fresh grads going into recruiting um, on the corporate side. Um, but you also see partners who come in from industry. You know, certain firms out there, they have a tendency to hire, you know, industry uh, executives with maybe 15, 20 years of just consulting experience or industry experience and then transition into search. So there's a lot of different ways that people can get in. We tend to, you know, we're a firm that absolutely focuses on developing our internal talent. You've met with many of them. You've seen, you know, I've been there 20 years. Rick's been there, I think, almost 30 years, 28 years or something. Um, we have countless examples of people who started in kind of at the lowest level and have worked their way up over the years. So we, we are a firm committed to that. And typically it started at the research associate level. Uh, research associate is kind of the entry level. Um, typically we're hiring fresh grads or those individuals who have two to three years of general business experience. We don't expect them to have retained search experience. Um, or even contingent search experience, just some general business experience. If we find someone out of another search firm, that, that's a bonus for us for sure. So a but, lot of different ways. And they need ways. to be pretty smart. I mean, you guys are dealing with a lot of, you know, one thing that like recruiters, you know, especially in the staffing side, it's like, oh, they, you know, they're good at talking to people. Mm -hmm. We can get a higher recruiter. I think the level of expertise at the retained executive level, I mean, your 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 resource, you got to really understand a lot of business. You got to sure. understand people, education. There, there's another level, right? Economics. So you got to so understand the economics of the industry, where the trends are. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right. You're not you're not hiring somebody out of a just a, a low level degree at maybe a, a middle level school. You want people that get it. Right. right. I mean, is that true? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, obviously, we tend to look. I don't want to say where they 
receive their education is important, but it, what's more important is the individual themselves, their personality, their style, their willingness to learn. You know, a lot of those intrinsics that you look for. I want somebody who's got not only the intellectual capability, but has the personal sort of fortitude and drive uh, to work hard because, um, you know, as a researcher, you're, you're grinding. You're, you're doing a lot of computer research. You're getting a lot of names. And you've got to prove that you can work hard and, and accomplish what you need to do. Um, so there's no doubt education is important. But for me, it's more the kind of the personal uh, intrinsics that, that matter most. And so how does one become then move from, move from the uh, researcher level into like a partner or somebody who's going to be, not maybe necessarily a partner, but someone who's out um, bringing in searches, bringing in mm -hmm. opportunities in business? Well, it's, it's, it's a pretty long track. You know, the, the research associate level, again, that entry level, you're spending anywhere from two to four years. Um, and really, that's where you need to be a sponge and you need to learn as much as you possibly can around the specific searches and industries that you're working with. So what we try to do internally is pair our researchers with a specific uh, vertical. So obviously it, it's not always the case, but we have, you know, one researcher who does mostly industrial. Um, he may do some other things depending on workload, but we try to keep, stay in our lane, if you will. And what that does is help sort of build a base of experience that can help that individual get to the next level, which is an associate level where you're doing candidate development. So you're picking up the phone, you know, you're calling, you know, a Kevin and saying, Kevin, I've got this great job let's talk and then you have to do you know some qualifying you have to make sure that you know they understand the role enough and the industry enough to to assess whether that candidate is qualified or not um, as an associate that you then become an, a senior associate and again that can take another two to four years and then you get to the principal level and that's you know to your point where you can start developing your own book of business but along the way you have had to have been developing relationships with the candidates that you're talking to um, you know and those candidates par pardon me but those candidates eventually become clients absolutely right that's why each step along that way that growing process that maturity process is important mm -hmm. because you know every person that person connects with is potentially a future client absolutely and, they, and those people that they do connect with uh, those if they do it right will have a relationship with them that ex extends for now probably six years, seven years, eight right. years, sort of, so, sorry. No, no, absolutely, that's how it works. Yeah. I mean, you have to develop these relationships. I mean, when you think about what we're asking our clients for, we're asking them to give us a check for many, many thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars to say, hey, you have the confidence in me to go find you your executive. You don't just get that by picking up the phone and making a cold call. It's time that allows you to develop that relationship and that trust that, hey, this, this guy has been with me along the way. I'm going to give him or her a shot to go find our next VP of HR or our next CFO, whatever it is. Yeah. So, yeah, no question. So you touched on something. You said to find your next executive. I know that sometimes this business can be funny in that they could be paying you for things other than just finding that next person, right? Mm -hmm. So can you kind of outline some of the different 
reasons why searches are originated. So not only is it maybe somebody left, you have to replace someone, but mm -hmm. maybe someone's going to be promoted or someone's going to be removed. They don't know about it. I mean, what right. are the different scenarios that happen? Um, so obviously to fill a gap, that's uh, fill a, an open spot. That's typically the number one reason why they, they call us. Um, but clearly building bench strength. Clients, you know, depending on their cycle, um, in their business, they look around the room and they, they sit there and they say, okay, you know, when they're doing their succession planning and they see, oh boy, we have three potential spots that we don't have a backfill should somebody decide to leave. So we need to build that bench. They'll come to us and they'll say, hey, we need to go find you know, this person, that person, or this person. Building a bench, meaning just identify the people. We may not bring them on. No, they, they, no, they a lot of times they will bring okay. them on. Um, they might also call us to do a talent map. And basically that is, we want to understand what's available in the marketplace right now for this specific role. It's a VP of HR, VP of quality, you know, CHRO, CF, whatever it is. We want to know who's available out there um, and really kind of test the waters and calibrate them against what we have internally. Um, so more and more clients have, uh, that, that's a far more strategic approach and many clients are taking uh, that path as well. And that's a full fee, but they may not hire anybody. Um, it, it depends, it might not be a full fee. It might just be a third or 50% of a full fee. It depends on the, the specific scope of work. What about in instances uh, you obviously are talking to dozens, if not, you know, hundreds of, of executives. Mm -hmm. um, what's the likelihood of you actually sort of taking them on as, I don't want to say an agent, right, and then trying to market them, but is at that level, you know, these, these they don't come around necessarily at the right time. You know, right. Timing is everything, correct? So uh, how often is it I have the candidate and not the job, right? Or are you, are you strictly only working on the job first and then going identifying the candidate? It's definitely the latter. Yeah. So our clients are coming to us with a specific need. Um, you know, we don't float resumes. We don't kind of take a candidate that we think is outstanding and say, "Hey, here's five companies. Let's go send them a resume." Now, there are certainly times. Don't get me wrong. That our clients will say, "Hey, if you happen to see anybody, if you happen to know anybody, we're not really ready to go to search, but you know, would love to just kind of pick your brain." Maybe in that case we would, but that's obviously not what's paying our bills. Correct. Our clients are going, are you know, asking us to go fill their their open spot and find the right executive. So in my my, in our industry, in, in IT staffing, technical, um, I'm probably placing, I don't know, 300 jobs a year, give or take. Wow. Okay. Uh, maybe two dozen of those will be permanent placements. Mm -hmm. Give me an idea on the sort of sheer volume that you will do as an individual and then as a company in right. executive search. Are you allowed, is that is revealing that, is that, anything? Is that, is that too yeah. revealing? I can give you a general range. Yeah, how about not um, necessarily your firm, but just general range of what an executive search uh, person will do. Yeah, so that really depends on the, the firm that they're coming from. Um, in a big firm, and, and I haven't worked in a big firm, but from what I understand, the partners handle a much higher volume of activity because they just have more work coming in. You know, that's kind of, they, they have a lot more inbound calls and because their, or their, their personal fees are split many different ways, they have to handle a higher volume of, of work in order to get paid X amount of dollars. When you get to a smaller firm, you don't have to handle as much. One of our selling points as a firm is, hey, 
you're paying me to do the search, I'm gonna do the search. I'm gonna be there every step of the way. I, I can't say that that happens all the time with the big firms. So with us, I don't have to carry that type of workload. So my, my workload might be 15 to 20 searches a year. Maybe I, at a big firm, and this is a guess, don't quote me, um, but it might be 30, it might be 40, I don't know. Okay. So yeah. it, it just just a difference in type of you know recruiting and, and sort of talent engagement. Think about that. You know when you're getting into the executive search versus the versus maybe another traditional staffing arm. You see the difference. You sort of see mm-hmm. the timeline that goes into it. What is the average? What do you is are you allowed to say? What do you think the average length of a search is? I know they obviously can vary from right. time to time, but. But typically, um, is your client giving you ninety days, uh, hundred eighty uh, days? We wish they had. They gave us ninety. Okay, days. so it is less than that. Okay. Yeah. So what? I mean, obviously, technology has enabled us to move a lot faster. Correct. You know, the fact that we can get on a Skype versus a plane um, helps tremendously. LinkedIn and other database resources that we tap into allows us to find the data faster. We still have to recruit. We still have to pick up the phone, make the phone call, assess and qualify. But really the biggest difference that I've seen from when I first started to today is the timeline has been condensed considerably. Yeah, because 20 years ago when you started this, come on. It was 60 days before we even had to get back to a client. Get back to a client. Right. I mean, give them progress. Yeah, we would give them a call, but it wasn't so regimented as it is now. But today? Now it's, you you have your first calibration call, your first status call within two to three weeks. Okay. You're presenting a slate in 30 to 40 days. A full slate, not just one candidate. Like your your group. This is who we, we're going to, we're going to bat with these guys right. right here so speed has become you know we it was always cost quality speed okay which one don't you want correct like if you you know that's the pyramid you, yeah that's the pyramid it's it's absolutely we, yeah we, we have about a, that before we have this uh another podcast where we, we, we certainly talk about that paradigm right and which one don't you want right, right. Uh, and so now if you're within 45 days you're presenting that that group of people um have you found are your can are your is your client ready to interview and react Swiftly, well, because again, you got to keep these candidates now for 45, 60 days, hoping they're not interviewing somewhere right. else. Uh, is it fair to say that you do not have an exclusive? They have the right to work with other no, executive search we firms. We have an exclusive. Oh, you do. They right. will not work with any other search firm on another. Well, because they're paying them the fee. Right. right? No, they're not going to pay the candidate. You're the candidate. Oh, oh the candidate can, can yeah. work with. They can be There's working. No exclusive. No, no exclusive. Yeah. Okay, so you holding these people, keeping right. them at Doing bay. Them. Well, I think there's a little. Let's be serious here. Your candidates aren't like shopping their resumes. No. Typically, they're fully Uh, engaged somewhere. I mean, how often do you come across where, like, what percentage of your candidates tell you, well, I'm, I'm shot. I got, I'm in process with all the time. Oh, really? Okay. So basically, if somebody is actively looking or even actively listening, there's a good chance that they're probably listening to somebody else and may have another deal. Um, There are plenty of candidates who aren't, you know, we try to, um, certainly recruit those who are gainfully employed. Um, but even those individuals may be talking to others, other search firms, other companies as well. So to your, your point, Tony, there's no question we have to move quickly. Um, and in fact, over the last year, we have had to push our clients even harder to move faster. And even on the initial intake call, you know, when we're kicking off a search, okay, Mr. or Mrs. Client, look 45 days out, lock in calendars today, you know, hold us to it, 
you know, we're going to get candidates to fill the slot, but what we don't want to do is wait 30 to 45 days and then try to lock in calendars because then you're looking another 30 days out and it's nearly impossible to keep these candidates, you know, engaged that long if they're actively looking. For yeah. those that are, aren't looking, don't have anything else, it's easier, but we still don't want to uh, – you know, let too much time pass. I think like you, I assume if they're willing to talk to me, they're willing to talk. They are, they are talking to somebody else because I'm not the only game in town, right? For sure. And so that is my one of my biggest challenges. So I think we share that, that commonality. It's mm -hmm. just holding talent. You know, we all want – nobody wants the unhappy guy right. that's miserable, that's doing a so-so job, right? That's not the guy we were looking to place at our new client, our right. clients. We want the, the, the rock star that – while in a good position, is looking for a better opportunity. Right. You know, putting them in a better situation. And so those people are harder to come by, mm -hmm. and we don't want to lose them. And oftentimes, I, you know, in my in my side of business, we run to, into a stop sign. We're, you know, we're, we're 100 miles right up into the stop sign, and then we, you know, we, we crash, and we're like, right. okay, let's go, guys. Let's, let's, let's go. Let's move it. Yeah. And, and so it sounds like you run into sometimes a similar problem yeah. with your clients, and you know, maybe that's because of their positions. The interviewing group, right? It's probably for sure. Travel commitments, right, and, and other activities that take them away from interviewing. Right. Um, so I, that's interesting just to sort of know that that you run into that same problem. And and I will say, not to interrupt you, but no. it's obviously much more intense on your side. Yeah. Because not not that it's not intense on our side, but. You only get paid if that person... Correct. So you've done a lot of work on the front end to make this happen. And then if you have a client that starts stalling out, you're like, hey, buddy, you know, I've, I've got a paycheck that I need to get. I've got a family to feed. You better you know, get this person in and hired. But I can understand. Uh, I, I know a lot about the contingency side um, and how frustrating that can be. Yeah, it, it's certainly probably the number one stressor is like you work so hard to identify the right candidate. You think mm -hmm. you found him or her, you present it to the client, and then right. the client decides that, that they're going to go on vacation yeah, for right. a week, right? And, and then yeah. that person's now gone, because right. especially in, in, in contract work, right? If they don't have a job, they're not getting paid. So, you know, it's really sort of important speed is you know critical on For both sure. ends yeah um so that's interesting I, I i i think i was raised under the impression that retained search was this like long huge process like i said multiple face-to-face -face interviews multiple times with the family out to the ranch to shoot guns and you know right. you know it can dinner. there are certainly those instances right where, and, and, and but yeah. now it does sound like because of technology it has been 20 years like since you and i have started our, our careers and it, it is picked up and now that the timeline is even shortened You'd say, are you within sixty days? Right, they could be start to finish for sure. Well, what about has technology played a part in this at all? Uh, do you think? Without question, okay. and it's going to continue to play a part in in our industry. Um, certainly, the the video technology, as I mentioned before, that has helped tremendously. LinkedIn is is clearly you know a, a tremendously valuable resource for everybody from a networking and uh, just a identification perspective. Um, you know, you're obviously seeing more you know AI out there. Other you know a lot of companies um, utilizing AI as part of their recruitment uh, process. Also, you know, from a database perspective and, and a collaboration perspective, leveraging the database to communicate with clients and things like that. So it, it plays a big part of it, for sure. What about threats to the business model? Do you think there's anything out there that'll to ever take away? I mean, the world is getting smaller every day. It's easier to get to people. Yeah. Um, is there anything out there that you see that could be that you're willing to talk about here today? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, again, having been in search for so long, 
Um, you know, when Monster came out, everybody thought that Monster was going to, you know, crush the search industry, both on the contingency side and the retained side. And then we then, you know, there were whispers that LinkedIn was going to do the same thing. Um, but what we always rely on, there is a there's a human aspect to what we do that can't be replicated by technology. You know, getting to know your candidate, understanding their background, understanding how they fit with an organization. You know, again, some of the, the, the value add that we provide, I don't necessarily think at this point technology can, can replicate. So I think technology is there to help facilitate, uh, but it won't ultimately replace. Now, there might be some argument at a, at a lower level. It can be, you know, where, you know, it's, it's higher volume. Um, but at least what I see on the retained side, I think we're going to be around for a while. Um, I don't think we're ever going to go away, but I think it might be different in 10 years than where we are today. Just like we're different than where we were 10 years ago. Yeah, right. Are you challenged at all by uh, VMS, MSP type of or pro- BPO, any of those types of things get in your way at all? Not those really. are those are non-issues, correct? Not at this point. No. And... and um, just curious. I, I know you know you often like to stay in your lane, right? Mm-hmm. Executive search does executive search. Is there a reason why oftentimes executive search haven't utilized? You gotta have a branch of contingency. Um, mm-hmm. What because you know I always think the most important, the number one most important thing in recruiting is relationship. No question. And you work so hard at the relationship, right? And the relationship you hope doesn't just last transactional. You want to have that relationship. You've been doing this 20 years. I guarantee you, you there are people you've started off. You started off 20 years ago, and you still know them today, mm-hmm. right? And so, I guess the question I have is, you want to leverage that relationship, and those, especially from your perspective, you're dealing with the decision makers, mm-hmm. the ultimate decision makers amongst all the organizations, whether it's in, in IT, whether it's in finance, whether it's in marketing, whether it's right. in HR. Why not work with you know? The, the, the other little roles. Why right. just do the contingent? I'm just curious what 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 goes into that decision. Like I'm just going to do executive yep. search, retain. That's it. Right. But because there is, I'm sure, at all your clients, opportunities to do contingent work. Absolutely. And, and there probably and is. And you just you choose not to stay in that lane. Get in that lane. Um, yeah. I mean, and we've we've certainly pondered that many times over over the the 20 years and thought about maybe hey, should we go into outplacement? Should we go into um, you know, contingency or lower level, kind of mid-level staffing? Should we go into like executive coaching? There, there's a lot of different points along the talent management yeah. spectrum that we could explore. But we've always felt let, let's, like you said, stay in our lane. Let's do what we're good at and make sure we do it really darn well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, we had just recently, and I don't think I'm disclosing anything I shouldn't, but, uh, you know, a year ago talked about, hey, let's start up a mid-level firm because we're getting so many requests from our clients that we can't satisfy. So it's, hey, what if we had that arm? That way we can keep the client close. Um, but then when you realize what goes into that, I mean, I, there's no way I could step into your office and do what you do. Right. Now, I mean, maybe eventually over time. Correct. But I, I'm just not wired that way. Just like you couldn't come into my office tomorrow and do what I do immediately, maybe over time for sure, but we're wired a little bit differently. The, the, I think the, the kind of mechanics behind what you do versus what we do uh, are different. And I, I'm, that's not my expertise. 
could I eventually do it? Yes, but then I would. I don't want to compromise, you know, the the 20 years of experience along the way. But as a firm, we've certainly contemplated it, um, and I don't necessarily have a great answer as to why. Yeah, I don't other think than that, it's it's hard. Yeah, agreed. I, I I listen because you you always look at, as a business owner, a business leader, as uh, for different yeah, revenue streams, absolutely. and you 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 recruiting. There's there's certain elements of recruiting are, are all the same in terms of. You know, getting to know a candidate and developing right. relationships, developing relationship and developing relationship, right? That, right? That's the core of to which I believe is, you know, important in what we do, right. regardless if you're retained or, or you have to have a relationship. And that relationship you hold so near and dear to your to yourself that you, you'd like to, you know, support it in any way you can. Right. So I it just it was just a sort of a, a side thought, like what what. What goes inside the mind of, of those that are the leaders of right. a retained search? Do they think that, I don't know, they think that the grass is green on the other side. I don't think they believe that, Like just like we don't think that. Right. But I wonder if we did this and what, what, way, what went into it. And it simply comes down to what we, on our side, talk about too. Do what you do best and do it really, really well. Right. You know, and, and we have seen, if you look at some of the larger firms like Corn Ferry, they've diversified. So they've got a whole executive coaching and assessment business they have. They have, okay, I didn't know that. Um, they have uh, a, what, what used to be called Future Step, which is their mid-level. Um, and then they have the executive search side. So they've spread themselves across that, that continuum, if you will. Um, and other firms have followed. Um, and we and, and because of that, you know, our clients are asking us, hey, well, I, I just met with Corn Ferry about this search. You know, w- what are your assessment capabilities? What are your abilities to handle the mid-level? Well, you know, we have options and we have partnered with other firms to help uh, satisfy that. But, you know, Corn Ferry started uh, to change the model a bit and, and it's forced everybody yeah, to change. What, what, you, what my question was prompted by you saying your clients came to you. Mm-hmm. And whenever I hear this word, the client came to you, yep. is because they like you. They, they, the relationship is with you. They, they very much trust you right. with the decisions that are going to impact their company. And you don't want to leave it to somebody else. If they come to you to ask, there's a reason they're coming to you. They believe that the talent that you're going to bring them will be the right talent. For sure. If they thought it would come from, if they didn't like what you did, they'd just go to somebody else in general. Right. But they're coming to you first, and then you're saying to them, this is really not what we do. Right. And so they sort of respect that, right? But in other terms, I look at your, you know, ways to increase revenue streams, why not do it? Right. But then there's also that, that, concern that you have about diluting your brand yep. right so that that's been a common Definitely pros and cons point. it's just sort of For interesting sure. to talk to people on on the other side and, and what they what they do and how they do it and why they do it so, right now uh, thank you appreciate that mm-hmm. what about funny stories anything you can share that would really uh i mean what, you know you guys vet your people i'm sure really well so it's not like you come up with candidates at, at the last moment find right. some surprises but there's got to be something. Well, you know, it's funny in our in our business when and it's you know w- when a candidate flames out for whatever reason, it's not funny. No. It's frustrating, and you get really angry. So <sighs> I've got ton of those stories. I can um, tell by your haircut the, the, <laughs> that you, you've definitely had your share of uh, of stress along of, the way. Uh, yeah, yeah. I often think if I stayed in HR, would I have a full head of hair? But I, <laughs> I don't know. Um, so I, there's there's one story that I always come back to and. Uh, you know, one of my colleagues in, in the office was assisting me on this search, and it was with a key client, a really important client, very senior level search. 
And, you know, this isn't a funny story by any stretch, but it's just kind of the reality of what we're facing today. Um, went all the way to the board. They presented him with an offer. And then, you know, and this is probably a total comp of about 700000 So when you get to sort of those points where, um, you know, you're doing the, the, back, the background check, you're doing the employment screen, uh, you're doing the drug test, that you're just like, hey, that's, that's just, uh, you know, a rubber stamp, and then you keep on moving on. Well, of course, this senior executive uh, tests positive uh, on the drug screen, and um, client had to uh, call my colleague, uh, who you know, who was working on the assignment with me, and he had to call me Sunday morning to tell me that this had just blown up. And needless to say, our client was none too happy. And unfortunately, as, as you know, Tony, the, it's always our responsibility. It, you know, the blame falls on us. Now, I, I, I wasn't out there doing drugs with this guy uh, out in Colorado, but apparently he was. But our client was obviously very upset with the fact that now, you know, they had gone to offer and presented, you know, presented to the board and everything, and then he fails a drug screen. So now we have to pull him out of the process and start all over again. So it's a huge black eye on us. And again, not a funny story, but a little bit of the reality of what we have to deal with, because there are so many things that fall outside of our control. Um, but we take the blame for it. And you ask the candidates up front, is there anything that's, you know, oh, absolutely. drugs? And, I mean, but how do you guys, I mean, that's probably a whole other topic altogether, <laughs> but if you're doing a, a project for a company in Colorado, let's say, where marijuana is legal, can companies still screen, or can mm -hmm. they say, listen, I don't want, even though it's legal in my state, if this person tests positive, we don't want them? They have every right to, for sure. That's interesting. What, uh, but uh, but obviously Illinois, um, we're we're at the medical. If we when we get to recreational, uh, I think it was that January that happened. So I, I think it's going to change. I I don't know what the what the answer to that, that is. That law is 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 the next one where you're not going to be able to ask and not going right. to be able to. I mean that you just see the writing on the wall. Yeah. That that's the next can't one. discriminate can't against discriminate someone about uses. someone that decides to use recreational you know marijuana. I guess I don't know what else. Would, but what's the difference? I mean, oh. I, if you have a few beers or smoke a few joints, I mean, yeah, it's again, kind of be kind of be the same thing. It right? is going to be the same thing. But right. I think there's a perception, of course, that it because it has been illegal for so long that uh, I think it, it's going to take a while for us to think marijuana is the same as alcohol. Yeah. I, I just, you know, I, I can't think like when I think of my kids, you know, when they're 21 and drinking beer and what maybe before, but most likely, uh, most likely, respectfully, <laughs> um, I say that. But but if if I you know hear of them smoking marijuana, that I'm going to have a different reaction, even though it's going to be legal at 21. You know yeah. what I mean? I don't know. Maybe 18. Maybe 18. By that time, you never, you just don't know. I mean, is it uh, 18 or 21? I think it's eight. I think it's 21. I think it's 21. Gotta be 20. Yeah. You can't be able to not get a beer, but have marijuana, smoke marijuana. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think yeah. that's, I mean, I mean, I'm sure it's gotta be right. Um, so wh what else? Uh, anything else you want to share with us? Is This has been great. I mean, yeah. giving a real uh, deep dive into retained executive search. You know, I know Tony. You've had some good questions. Yeah, because to, to me, I, you know, I look at you. Um, you know, handsome man. Appreciate uh, you coming well, in. You got a face for radio. <laughs> you got a face for radio. I'll tell you that for sure. Um, no, uh, the, the truth is, is that uh, I've always sort of had this feeling in the back of my mind, like, how do they get paid without delivering yet? And I always come back to the answer: is they must have delivered at some, at, you know, at, at a point. And once you deliver once. 
they know you're, you're going to deliver again. So mm-hmm. why do they pay you up front or in the back end? They just want to know that they that you're fully engaged. And uh, I, I assume you would do the same level of, of background checks if you weren't getting paid mm-hmm. up front, right? It's just you've, you've, you've fallen in this great niche and opportunity and, and you work with some great clients that – that really respect what you do and the time and effort you put into your into your searches, and they're compensating for it upfront. Absolutely, right? I mean, it, it comes down to trust. Yeah, you know, our clients trust that we have a process that will yield the, the the desired result. Right, and that we'll find them that best the the very best candidate that's available. Because my right guess now. is, and correct me if I'm wrong, an executive search firm that's uh, on retained that's retained if they don't deliver they're not going to be we're not getting another call you're not getting another call correct this isn't this isn't paid but you won't get your other i think there's this misnomer and that should be clear you know very clear this is not free money right Right. like they have to deliver or they don't get that second opportunity right right you're only as good as your last search absolutely i think that is fair to say about any type of staffing and recruiting uh, firm and so you know for those people should be that are listening to this should need to be mindful that when they, we hear the word retain and they're getting right. paid up front, there is an even greater pressure to deliver because you only have one chance right. at you know delivering. Well, and the other thing that goes along with that, because we are getting paid, we stick with it until the end. So even if it takes a year, we're still working on it because we have an obligation to fill that job and continue to work with the client. They may elect, okay, these guys haven't found what we're looking for. It doesn't happen very often, but so we need a different set of eyes. But yeah, we may be getting paid within the first 60 days, but we're still continuing to work on no matter what challenges we face along the way. So we're basically obligated you know, to complete that search. So and that, to that your begs point. the question. So uh, do you, are there guaranteed? So someone comes in, let's mm-hmm. say 60 days, they don't make it, they take another job, whatever, they get fired, whatever happens. Is, we, it, is it back onto you guys? It's back to, onto us, okay. no fee. For how uh, long? For one year. One year. One year. Yep. One year. So if they're not there a year, you have to, you're, you're fine. Redo the search. You're, you're happily, do, well, not happily, but you're, no, you're, doing, the, you're doing the research again. Okay. <laughs> right. Where a contingency is more like 30 days, 60 days. Yeah. I, well, yeah, months. exactly. I would say in the high, the common is 60 days, you know, paid 30 days, uh, guaranteed 60, sometimes go as high as 90, mm-hmm. but that's probably the high side. Um, although that being said, it can extend beyond 90 because, you know, you want to be a good client and if they crap out at 95 or 100 right. days you're not going to say come pay me another fee you know because it's 10 days later you're going right. to go find them a replacement because you want to get the next role right right so i mean that you know these guarantees are sort of while they're there there's a day and time in mind we're not no one's going to hold you to one day or one week right thing so yeah for sure perfect anything else you want to add no i appreciate you having me this was uh, this uh, a was, lot of fun yeah it's my first you. podcast so one of many. You're Hopefully, gonna get I all didn't kinds blow of, it. After this is, the thousands so? of people listen to this, yeah. you're going to need a you're going to need I a think, PR firm. Yeah, I mean, to just to just, <laughs> and someone's got to you know handle your Twitter account and yep. making sure that uh, you're properly managed. I think somebody else is already handling yeah, my Twitter so. account, my oh, LinkedIn. Really? Who would that be? I don't know. Yeah. Well, good. Well, John, thanks for coming out. We appreciate it. And uh, until next time, I'm Kevin O'Brien. I'm Tony Sherwood. Have a good one. See you guys. Thanks.